During Jesus' ministry, one of the primary ways he would instruct his disciples was through parables. People would gather from far and wide in order to listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. And the most common way he would explain the kingdom was in parables. In this series, CMC campus pastors examined several parables of Jesus, exploring the rich truths they reveal about who Jesus is and what he came to achieve through his life, death, and resurrection. Now join Associate Pastor Paul Kern as he teaches on the parable of the Pharisees and the tax collector. Well, I want to welcome you to lesson five in our series on the parables. If you're joining us by podcast, we're so glad that you're here. And of course, all of the home people that are here with us at our midweek service, we're so glad that you guys are with us. If you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18, we're going to be reading out of Luke 18 tonight. And I am going to be reading once again from the Passion Translation because I am just in love with this new translation. I really, really like it. And I recommend that if you are actually reading out of a Bible with pages, paper, I encourage you to try to find you one. Now, they don't have the Old Testament in it yet, um, but they do have uh, the New Testament in it and Psalms. I'm not sure about Proverbs. I'm not 100% certain on that, but it's a really, really good translation. So tonight we're going to be talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be at verse 9. So it says, Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced that they were morally upright and those who trusted in their own virtue, yet they looked down upon everyone else with disgust. Once there were two men who went into the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader. The other was a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others, and he prayed, How I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. Now, I, I mean, we got to stop right there. Because... You know, I, I was in the back praying and going over this, and, and I was thinking, you know, that would be like a preacher coming out on the stage and saying, well, it's good to be here with you tonight, and you need to be here, you bunch of sorry, rotten sinners, because I got a few things that I need to help you with because y'all are such bad people. I mean, literally, that's, that's what he's doing, and I just thought, this is the worst prayer ever. He's, not, he's missing it right off the bat. Oh, how I thank you, oh God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters, swindlers, and crooks. Like that tax collector over there. Now, don't look at your neighbor. Don't. Just, you got to look straight ahead, okay? God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all that I make. Now, those are great things, right? I mean, those are things that maybe some of us in here would aspire to do. You know, I don't like missing meals. That's a hard thing for me. I don't like missing meals. And so this, this religious man is saying, I, I never cheat, which is a, a really good thing. I don't commit, commit adultery. That's a really good thing. And he says, I fast twice a week. That's great. I tie the tenth of my income. See, these are all great things that this man is doing, and they are worthy of recognition. The tax collector stood off alone in the corner, away from the holy place, and he covered his face with his hands, feeling that he was unworthy 
even to look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears, saying, God, please, in your mercy, and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. And then Jesus poses this question to the people that are there in the room. Which one of them left for home that day made right with God? And he gives them the answer. It was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all, and everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector contains the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as we look at this parable, it really shows us the heart of the gospel. It says that Jesus taught this parable to people who were convinced that they were morally upright and those who trusted in their own virtue, yet they looked down upon other people with disgust. So, you know, I'm this religious person, I'm this good person, I do good things, and then they look down upon other people who they consider to be people who aren't good people, who aren't doing good things. And Jesus often spoke on the issue of righteousness. As a matter of fact, I started kind of doing a little review of this, and I mean, Jesus often talked about how you achieve righteousness in God's sight and in God's eyes. And it was the major message of his ministry. It really, really was the major message of his ministry. As a matter of fact, the people that Jesus had the most difficulty with was church people. It was not lost sinners. It was people who had been going to church for a very long time, and they, they had a misdirected zeal for God. Now, they were zealous. Have y'all ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm just really sincere about this, right? We've all heard that, right? I'm just really sincere. But, you know, we can all say that we've known people that were very sincere about something, but they were also wrong. That's called sincerely wrong. And, and I've been sincerely wrong before. I was very, very sincere until I realized that I was wrong, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I want to lay a little groundwork about the culture of the time, and, and uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Tim, mentioned this here a couple of parables back. The Pharisees were one of four major religious groups during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, and they thought that their own goodness was so impressive that it couldn't fail to make them acceptable to God. You know, they held strictly to the religious ceremonies, the traditions of their law, making it very publicly, you know, showing their religiosity publicly in front of everybody, all to be seen by other men, many of whom they despised and they saw them as being beneath them because they weren't keeping the religious uh, duties of the law. So the Pharisee in the story is the epitome of a, of a self-righteous person or what we call a self-justifying person. They're looking to what they are doing to justify them instead of what God has done for them. Now, once again, look at Luke 18, verse 9. Once there were two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader, the other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, 
Oh, how I thank you, O God, that I am not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters, swindlers, and crooks, like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all that I make. Now, I want you to pay attention to the attitude of the prayer. I wasn't being redundant just to be redundant. I was reading that again because this is his prayer. This is what he is praying out loud to God, and there's a lot of other people standing around. Notice his prayer has no elements of confession. I mean, he's, he's at the altar. Now, I don't know about you, church, but when I come to the altar on Sunday morning, you know, I watch these TC guys, the Teen Challenge guys, you know, every midweek service, we always have a bunch of young men and older men that come down to this altar and they get down on their knees and they are calling out to God. And guys, I just want you to know that blesses me every single time I see that. And it always reminds me of where I came from. It reminds me of the kind of attitude that I need to always live my life in. Being a person of humility before God. But notice there's no elements in his prayer of confession. He doesn't ask for forgiveness for his sins because he believes he has nothing to confess. He doesn't think that he's done anything wrong because he's a religious person. He follows all of the religious rules and he goes to church. Not a word of praise of thanksgiving to God mentioned in his prayer. He never says, God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for setting me free from the life that I used to live. Thank you for delivering me from hell. Thank you, God, for setting my foot up on the solid rock. Thank you, God, for delivering me out of the miry clay. Come on. I mean, he doesn't pray any of these things. He, and, and not only that, his prayer really is to himself. He's not really praying to God. Here's what he's really doing. He's patting himself on the back for what an awesome person that he is. And there's really nobody in there that can pat him on the back because his arm's in the way because he's busy patting himself on the back. He's a very self-righteous person. And even the things that he does offer is designed to exalt himself and place himself above other people whom he looks down upon. Now, this is where you need to curl your toes up a little bit in your shoes. Are you ready? Because we're him. We're that guy. You know, as we sit in here tonight, Jesus told this parable for our benefit. You know, I, I used to read the parable about woe to the rich person. It'd be harder for a rich person to go through the enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Are y'all familiar with, their, with that scripture? There's a scripture that says that. It's, it's hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich person because of their riches. And I used to think, man, I feel sorry for Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. I mean, that was my thought, you know. I feel, I feel sorry for Elon Musk. I mean, I, but the fact is, church, we are those rich. We are those people. You know, when we think about the blessings of America, 
We think about the provision that we have been given by Almighty God. We are those rich people. We have electricity. We have running water. I was walking around Walmart today, and I was shopping, and, I'm, and I was literally just, I had uh, our youth pastor with us, Josh Barnett, and I said, can you believe this? Can you believe we could just walk around in a store in air conditioning and buy anything that we want? Anything, there's anything that you have need of, you can just go right down the road, two miles down the road for us, and you can buy whatever you want. I thought, that is an amazing thing to me. You know, and I just had this heart of gratitude that I could just even go into Walmart and just buy things because we are those rich, we are those blessed ones. In this parable, Jesus puts the spotlight on our heart. Our heart life is the most important thing to the Lord. Above anything else, our heart life matters to God more than anything else that we do in life. As a matter of fact, go to Proverbs chapter 4 with me. And we're going to look at some of the sayings of Solomon, but I specifically want to focus on verse 23 in Proverbs chapter 4. Now understand that Solomon asked God to bless him and God said, what do you want? And he said, I, I want to be the wisest man. I want wisdom. And so God literally made Solomon the wisest man in the whole world. People would travel for hundreds and hundreds of miles to come hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon knew about agriculture and horticulture and, and, and just anything that you could possibly imagine. He knew it. He was so wise kings and queens and prince and princesses and, and important people would come from all over to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And I want you to listen to what Solomon says in chapter 4, verse 23. So above all, in other words, above everything that I can teach you, above everything that I can tell you, out of all the wisdom that I have, here is the thing that I put above everything else. Guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. You want me to tell you, Teen Challenge guys, the guys that are going to make it all the way through the program, the guys that guard their heart. That's who's going to make it. This area right here in the center of who we are is the thing that we have to guard more than anything else. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to build very tall fences around your heart life to protect it. Because God says that is the most important thing. Now, understand, this Pharisee was a self-justifying, self-righteous person. And a self-righteous prayer is not going to be heard by the Lord. God's ears are closed off to a haughty, self-promoting self-congratulating person. Well, God, I, you, know, I, you know, I did good. I'm a good person because I, I went and prayed for this brother or sister today or I went and gave some money to this person today or I did this good deed. Now, don't get me wrong. That's great. That's, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm not taking away from acts of service and acts of kindness and acts of goodness. But those acts have to come out of a heart of humility and thankfulness not out, not out of an ability to earn righteousness or to promote ourselves. So unlike the Pharisee who stands boldly in the temple reciting his prayers of self-congratulations, 
the taxpayer, the tax collector stood far off at a distance, the scripture says. Perhaps maybe even in an outer room. Maybe he didn't even feel like he was worthy to come down to the altar. Maybe he just knelt right there where he was because he didn't feel worthy to go to the altar. But certainly he was far away from the Pharisee who would have been offended by him. He's way off from this person. Now let me give you a little more background on tax collectors and to explain to you why they were so despised in the days of Jesus. Tax collectors, because of their association with the Roman government, were seen as traitors to Israel, and so they were hated and they were really treated as outcasts among the Jewish people, especially the religious people. Tax collectors would come to auctions that were held by the Romans, and they would bid on who would win the right to gather taxes from the people. So it was like a bid, and a lot of different tax collectors would come, and so they would bid a certain amount, and whoever won that bid got to go into that region and, to let, and collect taxes from those people. Now, what the tax collectors would do is, is they would charge people in excess of what they won the bid for, and that's how they made their money. And that is why they were corrupt and people disliked them and despised them because they actually cheated people out of their money because they were asking more than what they actually won the auction for. And the thing that we need to see is this man's posture before God. Now it says that he was unable even to lift his eyes to heaven. I mean, he couldn't even look up to God. As a matter of fact, the burden of his guilt and shame weighed so heavily upon him that it became an unbearable load for him. It was just like something, you know, I, I, I know of times in my life where I made a mistake and I did something wrong and it bothered me so bad that I had to get it dealt with immediately. I mean, there wasn't no way I was going to carry that for two or three or four or five days or a week or a month. Or no, there was no way I had to get that off of me immediately because it was so heavy on me. Whether it was a bad attitude or a way that I communicated to somebody or something that I said, you know, it, it's just, it had to come off of me. And I really feel like this is exactly what we're seeing here. He's overcome by his transgression. His sin is, has really overcome him. It's really bothering him. It says he beats his chest in sorrow. He cries out to mer for mercy to the Lord. He appeals to God for that. And the prayer that he speaks is the very one that God's waiting to hear from all of us. See, this is the prayer that Jesus is wanting to communicate to us, that he wants us to pray to God. Look at his attitude. Look how Jesus responded to this attitude. See, this is what Jesus is wanting us to see. The Bible often speaks of being justified, being free from guilt by faith. As a matter of fact, in Romans 3.28, it says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Now, some people think that they can be justified they think they can be made right with God and innocent in God's sight by doing good deeds specified in the law. And that's certainly what this man thought for himself. That was the Pharisee's attitude. But it was actually the tax collector who was justified by God, not this man who was doing 
all of these religious things. Now, he was doing all of these religious things. They were all good religious things. It wasn't like he was out having an adulterous affair. He wasn't out cheating. He wasn't out lying. He wasn't out doing a bunch of horrible things. This man was literally doing everything that he needed to be doing, and everybody would look at him and go, that's a good person. That's a godly man. That man, surely he is right before the Lord. So what is important for us to recognize is that it's not what we do or we don't do that justifies us before God. It is what God has done through Jesus Christ and the blood covenant. Okay? Now, not that that justifies us to go out and do whatever we want to do. Because if we read more of Romans, it will develop that. But for you to say, I go to church so that makes me right with God, would be a mistake. I don't smoke pot anymore, so that makes me right with God. I don't commit adultery or steal, so that makes me right with God. I serve as an elder or a deacon in church, so that makes me right with God. I'm on the volunteer team at church, so that makes me right with God. That gains me points with God. I volunteer at a homeless shelter, so that really gets me some extra brownie points with the Lord. No, no none of that does anything to earn righteousness points with God. Now, are those all good things? Yes, they're all great. And we should all be doing many of those things. But none of that earns us a right standing with God. All that is is an outworking of gratitude and thankfulness for what Jesus did for all of us. I can't help but to serve. I, I mean, I remember when I got saved. And when I first started coming to Christian ministry so many, many years ago, and you can ask our lead pastor, Tim, I was here all the time serving. I couldn't help it. I, it was just what God had done for me. I was so thankful and I was so grateful. God, what can I do? I'll mow the lawn. I'll trim the hedges. I'll clean gum off the seats. I mean, I, what, and I did all of that. And I'm not, that didn't, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying I couldn't help to do that because I was so thankful for what God did. And that's the attitude of the heart that God is looking for. That's why we give. That's why we serve. That's why we forgive. That's why we love because God has done so much for us. Can I have an amen? amen. Look at Romans chapter 4 with me. We're going to start in verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5 through 8. It says, but no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness to your account. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside of a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them, I will never hold your sins against you. Now, that's amazing because that's Old Testament. 
This is before Jesus even came. This is when the blood sacrifice was being done. And yet, David has this revelation of his sins being acquitted and the feeling that it brought to his heart because his sins were acquitted. So no amount of good works, no amount of church attendance, tithes, community service, loving our neighbor, or anything else that we do is sufficient to take away the blot of sin and enable us to stand before a holy God on our own. There's no amount that can do that. And that is why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. Amen. See, that's why Jesus came. His death is the only work that can cleanse us and make us acceptable before God. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me, because you can only come through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And if we're truly brokenhearted over our sin, we can be assured that God's boundless mercy and his love and his forgiveness is there for us through Christ. We have that promise. So we don't have to doubt tonight. We don't have to worry tonight whether we're going to heaven. We don't have to worry tonight whether or not we're, we're saved. We don't have to worry tonight whether or not we've been forgiven. The Bible makes it very clear that God will forgive us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all, A-double-L, what does that spell? All, what does that include? Everything from all unrighteousness. See, Jesus accomplishes that for us. So he has promised in his word to accept us, to love us, and to make us right with him through Jesus Christ. Now, I also also want to say that we need to understand that God doesn't want us going around beating ourselves up in self-condemnation. Now, because I want to bring a little balance to what I'm talking about tonight, because yes, we are all sinners until we are born again, and then we become saints that occasionally sin. Amen? I'm not a habitual sinner anymore. And I used to enjoy sinning. (laughs) You know, I'd get as many people involved in it with me as I possibly could, the more the merrier, right? But when I got saved, God changed my heart, and I didn't agree with sin anymore. It grieves me now. It bothers me when I sin. I don't like sinning. I don't enjoy sinning. So I'm not a habitual sinner anymore. Now I'm a saint. My position has changed because of Jesus. Amen. I'm a saint who occasionally sins. So we don't go around beating ourselves up over the mistakes that we make from week to week because we all, what does the scripture say? We all fall short of the glory of God. So I don't go around condemning myself for the mistakes that I make throughout my week. What I do is, is I go to God humbly, just like that tax collector, I bow before him and I say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know, I remember years ago when I was quite a bit younger, I was involved in a lot of youth ministry and we traveled all over the place and went to all kinds of churches doing weekend youth retreats for young people. And I remember being in this particular retreat and the area that we were in was way out in Oklahoma and it was in Indian country. And there was quite a few Indian young men and young women that were there at this retreat that we were doing. And we had been ministering 
um, all weekend long. I mean, God was moving powerfully. It was great. And one of the things that we would always do is kind of a culmination of our weekend on Saturday night is we would have an altar call. We would have forgiveness. God would come and, and just move in mighty ways. Young people would be healed. They would be set free. They would be delivered of all kinds of addictions and habits. And then we would have communion. It was, it was just really an awesome, awesome time. And we would always have these candles set up, kind of like the room to set, you know, the mood for the anointing of God to be moving in a peaceful moment. We had worship music playing. It was really a powerful, powerful thing. And we had, at this particular one, we probably had, oh, I don't know, 80 or 90 or more young people that were, were there in this room. And, and we were talking about being born again. We were talking about being saved. And, and I remember looking over and seeing this young man standing over by a candle. And when I first looked, it kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't really prepared for what I was seeing, but when I looked, this young man was holding his arm out over the candle flame, and he was gritting his teeth, and it, the candle was literally burning his flesh. And he was just holding it there. And I, I could hear his flesh burning, and I ran over to this young man, and I pulled his arm off of that flame, and I said, what are you doing to yourself? And he says, I'm, I'm purging myself of my sins. And boy, I tell you, I, I mean, I just started to weep because I thought, isn't that just like the devil? Isn't that just like the devil to make what Jesus did on the cross not enough? And I begin to explain to this young man, listen, young man, what Jesus did on the cross, you can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. What Jesus did for you on the cross is a finished work because Jesus said, it is finished. And so, boy, I tell you, God gave him a revelation that night. And you talk about a young man that was crying and and allowing the Lord to really move in his heart. But once again, listen to Romans with me. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works. But believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness to our account. Now, in addition, I want to say that we can't make the mistake of comparing ourselves to other people and gaining confidence from what we see in that comparison. And we're all guilty of this, all of us. This is one of the things that I hate about myself the most. And I just did it today. And I'm going to give you an example. <clears throat> I was on my phone. I was on my social media. And I saw a picture of somebody, and I thought to myself, I can't believe they posted that. And I had this self-righteous disgust in my heart for this person. And this was right as I was working on my message. And God just tapped me on my shoulder. And he said, how's it going, Pharisee? And I was like, who? Who are you talking to? God, I'm, I'm a good guy. And he says, well, you're not acting like one. Because see, because, see, what I did was, is I compared myself. 
I did the very thing that the Bible says that we aren't supposed to do. In fact, Jesus specifically warns us against the attitude at the beginning of the parable. When we try to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others, we naturally end up despising them. That's what we do. We despise them. Looking down on someone because of their post on social media is being self-righteous. And what God told me says, what you should, what your heart attitude should have been, Paul, is your heart attitude should have been, God, I pray for them. God, let my heart break for them. God, please help them. Not, I can't believe they posted that and how embarrassed I am for them and all the other thoughts that come into our mind. See, our standard for comparison is God himself, church. That's our standard. If you want to find something to compare yourself to, look to God. Look to Jesus, because we all fall short of his glory. Other people were never meant to be our standard. Your neighbor isn't meant to be your standard. Your boss isn't meant to be your standard. Your wife or your husband isn't meant to be your standard. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend isn't meant to be your standard. What's meant to be our standard is the Lord Jesus. That's our standard. We think, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm definitely not doing what they're doing. And that's just such a wrong attitude for us to have. Aren't you glad tonight that God's love for you is unconditional? You know, I was reflecting on that today, and I, I was reading over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about God's love, and I was just like, God, I'm so thankful to you tonight that your love for me is literally unconditional. Now, human love can't be. It just can't. Now, what does unconditional mean? Well, unconditional means that he loves us no matter what. Literally, God loves us no matter what. What? And, it, and he doesn't expect anything in return. Now, that's very hard for us to understand. That's hard for me to understand. That's very hard for me to grab hold of. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter who we are. He won't love us any less. He loves us just the same. His love is perfect. His love is unending. And it doesn't expect anything from us. That's God's love. That's powerful. Well, that's why the Apostle Paul said, who can understand the love of God, the breadth, the width, the height, the depth? Who, who can comprehend the love of God? Let me close tonight with a few final scriptures. Proverbs eight thirteen says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. God hates pride. James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, likewise you younger people, submit yourself to your leaders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time. You know, the Pharisee and the tax collector were figurative and typical attitudes that are common even today. I mean, this was going on thousands of years ago, and it's going on even today. One man was full of pride, and he was quite self-righteous. The other man was humble. He recognized his sins. He asked God for mercy, and he was justified. I guess the question tonight is, which one will you be? Which one will you be? Jesus, tonight, let's just pray together. We ask, Lord, that you, first off, forgive us of our sins. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. And God, we thank you that you love us so much. And that your word clearly says that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can't think of a better place to be than in your house, Lord, asking to be forgiven. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. That's our position. And, God, I ask that you help each member of Christian Ministries and those listening by podcast, that you help us to be people who walk in humility, that you help us be people that treat other people with humility. God, help us to become more like Jesus. Fill us with your love, Lord, for one another. Help us not to despise one another, but Lord, help us to love one another. Lord, we know that your word says three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Lord, help us to walk in the power of your love, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name tonight. Thank you for listening to the Christian Ministries Church Weekly Podcast. Summer is almost here, and we want you to know about one of our awesome resources for teens. Each summer, CMC hosts a camp called High Point Designed for Teens, ages 15 through 19. High Point is a biblical worldview camp that equips young adults for the challenges that are relevant to their culture. High Point has a variety of inspiring speakers, awesome worship, challenging obstacle courses, and fun activities. For more information or to register online, you can visit our website at hpoint.org. Spots are limited, so we encourage you to register today.